Welcome to the Immigration Hour. This is your host, Charles Cook, Cookbacks for Immigration. It's great to be with you again today. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I read an article this morning about the, uh, the, the increased levels of stress of immigration lawyers. I can't understand why there'd be increased stress among immigration lawyers. All that happens every day is the law changes every day. Um, and I guess that's what keeps us in business as a podcast, if this, in fact, were a business and not just a hobby of mine. Um, think about this. It seems like at least once a week, if not two or three times a week, a new law, a new regulation, a new policy, a crazy new illegal treaty that affects immigrants is published. Um, and, you know, I, I will give credit. I got to tell you, we got to give credit to the nativists and the xenophobes and the anti-immigration people. They had a plan. They have executed it to precision. They have monumentally modified, changed, disrupted, and barred immigration law in ways that will take us a decade to fix. And they have done it in two and a half years. Honestly, they've really done it uh, in about a year and a half. Uh, it's the first year they just goofed off. Uh, so I have to tell you, th these changes that we're dealing with uh, clearly are causing a lot of immigration lawyer stress. I hope all my immigration lawyer listeners out there are taking a vacation or something. Uh, get away from it. Turn your phone off. Uh, I think what we're all afraid, if I turn my phone off, then how am I going to know what changed today? <laughs> how am I going to be on top of the law if I don't follow it for a day? Because uh, it literally will change on me. Uh, so to all my immigration lawyer friends, I mean, I'm sorry we're going through this. All I can tell you is that we will come out of the internet because we're on the, the we're on the side of justice and truth. I mean, it, you know, as Martin Luther King said, the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. We just got to believe we're on the cause of justice here. We're not hating people. Uh, we're helping our country uh, by by bringing in immigrants and by helping people who are fleeing for their lives and and by bettering America. Um, so I, I just say to you, buck up, suck it up. Let's 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 show them that we can we can take uh, as good as they can give, and then ultimately we can give back. Uh, and I don't think they can take it. They they took it poorly for forty years. Uh, we'll we'll see what we can do now. Uh, this is not the ultimate triumph of uh, of nativism and xenophobia over immigration. Uh, it is a temporary bump in the road that we will most certainly overcome. Hey, I, uh, yesterday uh, at 11.30 in the morning, the Department of Justice released uh, Matter of LEA. Matter of LEA was a Board of Immigration Appeals precedent decision uh, that, uh, uh, that said uh, that family uh, is a particular social group. The immediate family, particular social group, uh, from 2017, and all matter of LEA did in 2017 was reiterate what, as immigration lawyers, I will tell you, is decades of asylum law uh, on this issue that family is the ultimate social group. Well, you know, for the party of family uh, that supposedly is the GOP, uh, this decision is shocking, shocking in its breadth. Shocking in its uh, its uh, uh, hubris, shocking in its disdain for the law. I 
Yet, uh, the people that write this, Barr didn't write this. He signed off on it, of course. It was written by Gene Hamilton and the, the other anti-immigration minions that, that currently serve uh, uh, Trump. Uh, and so this, this is something we, we expected. This is not, oh, my God, I can't believe they did this. We knew this was coming, uh, just like we know that there are a couple of other cases out there that are coming. Uh, as well. Uh, we, we know that's happening. Uh, Attorney General Barr has two other cases that he self-referred, um, uh, Thomas and Thompson and uh, Castillo Perez. Um, think about this, you know, kind of looking at the referrals under the entire eight years of Bush, there was nine. Under the eight years of Obama, there were four. Under the less than three years of, of, of Trump, there have been 11 uh, self-referrals. And uh, these, uh, these cases are, are going to be tough. I mean, the Castillo-Perez case, just so that you're prepared, uh, he's reviewing that, quote, in connection with the application for cancellation removal, what is the appropriate legal standard for determining when a person lacks good moral character? Under 8 U.S.C. 111F, which is the law already, what impact should multiple convictions for a drive while intoxicated or driving under influence? So basically a DUI. Will that bar you from good moral character? Um, and uh, will that d- d- decide whether you get or don't get discretionary relief? I mean, that, that is, uh, that, that's out there. And in Thompson, Thompson, Thomas and Thompson, the general generally referred decision themselves whether and under what circumstances judicial alteration of a criminal conviction or sentence, level of vacatur, modification, clarification, should be taken into consideration in determining immigration consequences. They want to undo really decades of law, not just, you know, and, and there's lots of circuit court law on this too, um, by saying, look, you can't ever modify a conviction. Um, they want to, I mean, it's just stunning uh, what, what's going to happen. And we know how they're going to come out. I mean, come on, people. They're making this impossible to get relief in immigration court. Um, these are uh, just awful, awful stuff. Um, and they are these are changing law, unlike Matt Hoppeck pointed out today uh, on a, some post by Aaron Hall uh, that, um, you know, the, the only two decisions Obama reversed uh, were unlawful. That is, the Silva Torino and Matter of Compi, and they just reset the law. He didn't, they didn't change the law. They just fixed what was, what was clearly erroneous decisions. Um, and so this is just stunning when you, when, when you talk about the breadth. So in matter of LEA, the original case— uh, the attorney general is saying that the BIA improperly recognized respondent's father's immediate family as a particular social group, and they set this new standard. All asylum applicants seeking to establish membership in a, quote, particular social group, close quote, including, including groups defined by family or kinship ties, must establish that the group is one composed of members who share a common immutable characteristic, like your genetics, just saying. Two, defined with particularity, which is we know. And three, socially distinct within the society in question. Socially distinct. Well, don't your genetics and your family make you socially distinct? Um Then they said, while the board has recognized certain clans and sub-clans, what are we, this is BC 1 million? What are they talking about? Clans and sub-clans. 
as, quote, particular social groups, close quote, most nuclear families are not inherently socially distinct and therefore do not qualify as particular social groups. Wow. That is nonsensical. <laughs> that is stupid. Um, and so here's what they said. The portion of the board's decision recognizing respondents' proposed particular social group is overruled. The rest of the board's decision, including its analysis of the required nexus of, between alleged persecution and alleged persecution, is, uh, is, is affirmed. So uh, in the first part of LEA, uh, which is now a 27 INN DEC 581, Attorney General 2019, Interim Decision 3959. Here's, here's what he says. And this is interesting. The respondent contends that he was persecuted by a criminal gang on account of his membership in a, quote, particular group defined as the immediate family of his father who owned a store targeted by local drug control. Drug control. So it was socially distinct recognized in the community, certainly recognized by the persecutor as a socially distinct group. That's mine. That's what I'm saying. Um, this case, uh, uh, under existing board precedent, a particular social group must share a, quote, common immutable characteristic that is defined with particularity and set apart or distinct from other persons in the society in some significant way. Okay. The alien bears the burden of showing that his proposed group meets his criteria. Okay. He will not satisfy that burden solely by showing that his social group has been the target of private criminal activity. So when your persecutor comes after you because you are a member of the family that they want to persecute, that does not count if apparently there is some element of criminality. But isn't virtually all persecution criminal? The fact that a criminal group, again, this, is, this goes to minimizing uh, and, and de-asylumizing uh, persecution by gangs. The fact that a criminal group, such as a drug cartel, gang, or guerrilla force, targets a group of people does not, standing alone, transfer these people into a particular social group. And they said, see, matter of SEG, which is a BI case from 2008, which they say concludes that respondents who fear harm from their refusal to join MSRD were not a particular social group. They were not in substantially, they were not in a substantially situation for anyone else who has crossed the gang or is perceived to be a threat to the gang's interest. Now, and that's not really completely what SEG says. And they say this, matter of Acosta, working as a taxi cab driver and refusing to participate in guerrilla-sponsored work subjects at a risk of personal does not create personal group. True, because you, and that, that decision was because you can stop being a taxi cab driver, but you cannot stop being the member of a family. You are always associated with that family. That's, that's the crazy stuff here. That's the crazy part of this decision. Then they said, at the same time, the board has recognized that a clan or similar group bound together by common ancestry, cultural ties, or language 
may constitute a particular social group, matter of H and N, H and BI nineteen ninety six, describing the relevant, distinct, and recognizable clans and subclans in Somalia. And Acosta, which further talks about calling for case by case determination of innate characteristics, such as sex, color, kinship ties, qualify as a particular social group. But what qualifies as certain clans or kinship groups as particular groups is not merely the genetic ties of my members. Oh, just because you're the same family doesn't mean you're the same social group. And, and, and <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, this is just crazy to me. This is just even hard to stomach this. Rather, it is that those ties or other salient factors establish the kinship group on its own terms as a recognized component in the society in question, citing WGR. So a family, for example, that owns a business that is targeted for persecution because of political opinion is not a social group. Consistent, and, and then go on, in that respect, the large and prominent kinship and clan groups that have been recognized the board as cognizable potential groups stand on a very different footing from an alien's immediate family, which generally will not be distinct on a societal scale. Whether or not it attracts the attention of criminals who speak to exploit their family relationship in the service of their crimes. Wow. Wow. So, consistent with these prior decisions, I conclude the alien's family-based group will not constitute a social group unless it has been shown to be socially distinct in the eyes of its society, not just in the eyes of the alleged persecutor. Wow. So, if I get an affidavit from other people in the town and say, oh, of course, the Gonzalez family, everybody knows the Gonzalez family, they are a socially distinct group of people, not just because of their genetics. So if I get an affidavit that says that, will that be enough? Will I be able to win my asylum case under this ridiculous new standard from, uh, from Bill Barr? Um, now, we're going to come back here in a second. I want to take a deeper dive on LEA uh, because I have won cases that are exactly like this in the Atlanta Immigration Court on these specific facts. So they're going to go back and undo that asylum grant? Well, the people have green cards now. Nothing they can do about that. But let's take a quick break here. We'll come back in a second because we need to look at a deep dive of how ludicrous this decision is and how it literally flies in the face of circuit court law. Literally ignoring the law in at least four different circuits. We'll be right back here on the Immigration Hour. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour. Um, now, interestingly, when they issued this decision, Barr issued it, they apparently issued a fact sheet because every case needs a fact sheet, right? Um, so in this fact sheet, which was sent around by Alexi Waltornist, that's definitely a Native American name. Um, they, uh, they said the ultimate question before the Attorney General is whether and under what circumstance an alien may establish persecution on account of membership in a particular social group based on the alien's membership in a family unit. A family unit. You know what another word for a family unit is? Family. Family. 
I, I, I mean, I don't know why evangelicals wouldn't be going ape nuts about this decision. Isn't family the most important part of our society? Isn't family the ultimate social group? Is, aren't we all cognizable by our family? So my son, the immigration lawyer, is he cognizable because he's Phil Cook or because he's my son and part of my family? I mean, it's interesting. So here's what they said. They have a number of bullet points about um, what the attorney general's decision means is this. First, asylum applicants seeking to establish membership in a social group include groups, blah, blah, we talked about that. While the board has recognized certain clans and subclans, that's not enough anymore. Uh, respondent did not show that anyone other than perhaps the cartel viewed the respondent's family to be distinct in Mexican society. So we can get an affidavit from people. There we go. I get 10 affidavits from the town. Oh, they're absolutely socially distinct. We know exactly who they are. Uh, further, as almost every alien member of a family of some kind categorically recognized families as social groups would under virtually every alien a member of a social group. Yes, that's true. And they say, quote, there is no evidence that Congress had the term particular social group to cast so wide a net. There is no evidence that suggests they didn't do that. To cast so wide a net, right? Uh-huh. I'm just saying that's the other thing you're talking about. You, you can't say one thing and then say the other. A really great um, bootstrap argument. In analyzing these games, adjudicators must be careful to focus on a particular social group as it is defined by the applicant and, and ask whether that group is distinct in the society in question. If an applicant claims persecution based on membership in his father's immediate family, then the adjudicator must ask. You notice they don't say immigration judge. They started calling them adjudicators because they're not real judges. Even the attorney general doesn't consider them to be judges. Then the adjudicator must ask whether that's that specific family is set apart or distinct from other persons within the society in, quote, in some significant way. Where is that in the law? That's literally made up. This decision does not bar all family-based social groups from qualifying some. To the contrary, in some society, an applicant may present specific kinship groups or clans. Um, so this, that's, that's their blah, blah, blah uh, summary of the decision. In this case, in 1990, this is how old this freaking case is. In 1998, respondent, a Mexican citizen, entered the United States. After a DUI conviction... He was put in removal proceedings. He took VD and returned to Mexico, but he did not stay there long by, in, in May. In August of 11, he re illegally returned to the U.S. He was caught and put in removal proceedings. He asked for asylum based upon persecution suffered during his, quote, brief return in Mexico. Uh, that would be three months there. According to the respondent, upon returning to Mexico, he had gone to live with his parents in Mexico City. His father operated a neighborhood general store, but he had run afoul of La Familia Michoacana, a Mexican drug cartel. Because his father refused to sell the cartel's drugs out of his stores, the drug dealers evidently decided to retaliate against respondent upon his return. After a few weeks of return to Mexico City, the was walking a few blocks from his house when he heard gunshots coming from Black Sports Utility Bureau. He dropped to the ground and was unharmed. Although respondent did not initially believe that he was a target of the shooting, he later concluded that he was based upon the cartel's subsequent actions. About a week later, four armed cartel members driving the same black sports utility vehicle approached the respondent and asked him to agree to sell cartels at his father's store. 
When respondent declined, the cartel members threatened him and advised him to reconsider. Shortly thereafter, four masked men in the same sports utility vehicle, because they're not very bright, attempted to kidnap respondent, but he managed to escape. After that incident, he left Mexico City for Tijuana, and then two months later crossed back across the border. Now, there's a lot of holes in that story, and uh, there could be a lot of reasons to deny that guy's asylum. The family thing is probably the least of these issues. Um, on appeal, the board found that his rich with his father made a social group. Um, and um, in this case, the department stipulates, so this is a, because the government stipulates, the department stipulates that immediate family of the father qualifies as a recognizable social group. The department stipulates, stipulates, DHS stipulates. The board recognized, and I, I, why I even got to this because it was stipulated, the board recognized under prevalent conditions, relevant precedents, a family-related group must satisfy the requirements of particularity and social distinction to qualify for a social group. But the board noted that such determination requires a fact-based inquiry made on a case-based basis and will not be satisfied by all social groups and involved members. But the board did not perform such an inquiry. Instead, it summarily concluded it considered effectiveness and the agree of the parties. We say that he's a group. So LEA, the whole decision, is bogus is bogus because they say, well, we're not going to get to that issue because the government has stipulated it's a social group. So we don't have to get to it. It's not the board made a bad decision. They just said the party stipulated. Now, what Barr is saying, you can't stipulate to that. You, you, D department, you can't stipulate to that. Uh, that case is ultimately denied because of the nexus between the membership of the group and the persecution. So this is, a, this is just a standard run-of-the-mill Denial of an asylum case at the Board of Immigration Appeals. We get that. The board did remand the case back to the judge for CAT, whether he should get CAT, which he would be eligible for. Um, and then, uh, apparently, because LEA, maybe they thought it stood for the broadening, although it didn't stand for the broadening of family and social group beyond those circuits that have already found it, they thought it did. And Whitaker, in his very brief illegal time as an attorney general, acting attorney general, um, said, we're going to take a look at this again. This is on the list that Gene Hamilton and the other minions uh, of, uh, of, of uh, doom uh, that work for uh, DOJ now brought with them. Hey, we need to fix all these cases. A lot of these, by the way, came out of the Atlanta Immigration Court, in case you were curious. They've just been keeping a tally for years on the, quote, bad decisions of the BIA. Uh, that just happens <clears throat> to be one of them. Um, it, it, so the decision goes on, uh, Barr. He uh, goes to the merits. I address several threshold questions, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, can, um, I can go ahead and decide this case. And, um, you know, w the respondent had a lawyer here he, he, that argued that Barr's prior statements regarding asylum prevent him from acting as an unbiased adjudicator. But he says, but I, quote, have made no public statements regarding the facts of respondent's case and have, quote, no personal interest in the outcome of proceedings. Um, so finally, respondent argues, I do not have jurisdiction, but the IJ never properly acquired jurisdiction. Respondent contends that the jurisdiction never vested because the charging document lacked all the information, but they kind of blew that off because of matter of Bermuda Codes. There's that. So on the merits. Barr concludes that the board erred in finding the respondent's purported social group qualified as a social group, even though the parties agreed that it did. So he then goes on for many pages uh, and uh, spends a great deal of time 
uh, talking about why, you know, they recognize clans. And he says on 588, over the decades since the Somali clan decision uh, in 93, the board has defined this, redefined the standard for identifying social groups. So they go to social groups, they talked about Sessions' decision in matter of AB, respondent must present facts to establish each of the required elements for asylum status, the asylum officer, immigration judge, or board must determine those facts to meet the satisfied elements. He says, quote, I recognize that a number, this is, this is where the UBRA sets in. I recognize that a number of courts of appeals, lowercase, have issued opinions that recognize family-based social group as a particular social group under the asylum statute. In some of these cases, the courts have been willing, as the board was in this case, to accept or assume with little analysis the existence of a particular social group because the court went on to deny the asylum application. Looking at the Sixth Circuit in 2019, the Eighth Circuit in 2018, and the Eighth Circuit in 2005, in other cases, the parties stipulated the validity of the applicant's particular social group and the definition. So that's the Sixth Circuit in 2019. Consequently, these cases do not reflect the thorough case-specific analysis of the three matter of MEVG factors the board precedents generally require. And I do not believe that a cursory analysis of a question that was either uncontested or not dispositive to the outcome should be taken to undermine the board requirement. Uh, the board doesn't set requirements. Uh, the law sets requirements. Just, I'm just thinking, you know, it's that whole Congress thingy. Um, so the board's requirements that an asylum can claim membership or something must establish that group shares a common amenable characteristic. Because the Court of Appeals is too stupid to analyze the law, and therefore I'm right. Uh, I also recognize that certain courts have considered the requisite elements despite the requirements set forth in MEVG and WGR. God, I can't wait till Gorsuch and uh, uh, his compatriots get rid of Chevron because this is such pure garbage. It's unbelievable. Have nonetheless suggested that shared family ties are sufficient to satisfy the INS's definition of refugee regardless of the applicant's specific family is defined with particularity. The Ninth Circuit expressly reserved that under the refined framework of matter of MVG, the family is the quintessential particular social group. And that's in 807 F3rd 1123, Ninth Circuit 2015. In addition, three other circuits have expressed the same view, but, <clears throat> but without explicitly evaluating whether that position is consistent with MEVG. First, fourth, seventh. These decisions do not purport to contradict the board's social group, and in my view, they have relied on outdated dicta from the board's earliest cases. Yes, the courts of appeals are too stupid to actually look at the law. They're relying on outdated before we changed it. Here in the fourth, and this I know my friend Jeremy McKinney will be very happy to hear this, the Fourth Circuit based this conclusion that nuclear families could be particular group, social groups on a passing suggestion by the board that social groups based on innate characters such as family relationships are generally easy recognizable and understood by other social groups. But matter of, and that relying on matter of CA, but matter of CA did not concern a family-based social group and in fact expressed caution against broad recognition of family-based social groups. To that extent, however, that any court of appeal decision is best interpreted as adopting a categorical rule that any nuclear family could constitute a social group. I believe that such a holding is consistent with both the asylum laws and long-dunning precedents of the board. So all you people that live in those circuits that have adopted the, the family as a social group, the attorney general doesn't believe they're right. 
And I would guess that ICE trial counsel will argue they shouldn't apply when you appear in front of adjudicators in immigration, quote, adjudication place. I guess that would be the court. Um, and he says, the attorney general has primary responsibility for construing and applying provisions in the immigration law, citing himself in matter of EVG, MEVG. No, the courts have the primary responsibility for construing and applying immigration laws. Well, I'm, I'm, I might be having a heart attack. This is truly a ridiculous uh, decision, a ridiculous decision. Um, and it goes on for several more pages after he disses uh, the courts of appeals. Um, here's, here's what uh, he says on 594. In analyzing these claims, adjudicators, let me go back because it talks about the 11th Circuit here. Asylum applicants generally seek to establish family grace groups as particular social groups by raising to one of two principal arguments. First, many applicants assert a specific family as a particular social group. And one of those is um, uh, Parecki in the 11th Circuit. Social group defined as Parecki family as targets of a blood feud. But to qualify under the statute and board precedent, when an applicant, and this is not under the statute, this is just board precedent, when an applicant proposes a group composed of a specific family unit, he must show that his proposed group has some greater meaning in society. It is not enough that the family be set apart in the eyes of the persecutor because it is a perception of the relevant society rather than the perception of the alien's actual or potential persecutors that matters. Again, citing to himself. I mean, he, he doesn't cite to any actual courts. He just refers to himself as the adjudicator. Um, it's garbage. I think this will uh, be set aside in every circuit that takes a look at, well, the 11th might, and the 5th might buy into this. But I, I don't think so. I think this is such garbage uh, that it boggles the human mind. And again, let's go ahead and get affidavits from everybody in town that says, of course, the Gonzalez family, everybody knows the Gonzalez family. They are socially distinct. I'd even put that in the affidavit. Everybody knows who they are because of they have big noses. They own all the property in town because they've been the only target in town of the gang. They are socially distinct. Um, wow, this is, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can go with this. Um, now, Barr does say very kindly near the end, this opinion does not bar all family-based social groups. To the contrary, in some societies, again, the Somali, he goes back to the Somali clan. He loves the Somali clan thing. He really loves that. Um, and um, finally, it says, um, uh, although the board relied on the party's concessions to find the existence of a social group, ultimately concluded the respondent failed to establish a nexus. I leave the board's analysis uh, for the denial in place. You know, this is, uh, this decision, matter of LEA, uh, will cost people their lives. People will die because of this. And they'll just shrug their shoulders and say, well, you know, our asylum laws weren't meant to protect everybody from getting killed. Also quite true, but they should be. Let's take a break here on the Immigration Hour. To take a break there, I got myself all worked up over Attorney General Barr. You know, maybe it's his smugness that gets me. He's just so damn smug about it. It's um, sad. Quite smug about it. Um... I, I want to next talk about, in this last segment here, uh, about Guatemala and about the administration's uh, supposed agreement with the Guatemalan government 
uh, in uh, for a safe third country uh, situation. Um, this is we don't have, by the way, the English uh, language version of this. Uh, we have not uh, we have not received it yet. Uh, the Guatemalan government, however, did put online uh, their uh, their uh, agreement, uh, their ver their Spanish version of this agreement. I'm sure President Trump read that as part of uh, part of the agreement. <laughs> no, he. He clearly didn't read that. Uh, we know he didn't read that. Um, but what I, what I want to do is take a look at this agreement. But let's start, first of all, as we always should, with the law. What is, the attorney, what is Trump's ability to create? Where does it come from, the build, ability to create a safe third-party agreement? Uh, what is that? As, as part of uh, the process. Well, this comes from 8 CFR, Section 208A2. So A1, by the way, is, is this very first chapter, by the way. A1 is any alien who's physically present in the U.S. or who arrives in the United States, whether or not at a designated port of entry of arrival, and including an alien who is brought to the U.S. after having been interdicted in international U.S. waters, irrespective of such alien status, may apply for asylum in accordance with this chapter. Two, exceptions. So that's why everybody that comes to the border can apply. Uh, two, exceptions. Um, here's the exception. A, safe third country. Paragraph one, which I just read, shall not apply to an alien, to a foreign national, if the attorney general determines that the alien may be removed, may be removed, pers comma, pursuant to a bilateral or multilateral agreement, comma, to a country, paren, other than the countries of the alien's nationality, or in the case of the alien having no nationality, the country of the alien's last habitual residence, close paren, in which the alien's life or nationality would or freedom would be threatened on account of race, religion, nationality, membership, or political And so if you're going to be threatened back there, you can't go back there. And where the alien would have access to a full and fair procedure for determining a claim to asylum or equivalent temporary protection, unless the Attorney General finds he can be in the United States through asylum. So basically, in order to, for this agreement to get into effect, one, Guatemala would have to have a, um, would have to, we'd, have to, we'd have to be satisfied that in Guatemala, that foreign national's life or freedom would not be threatened on account of one of the five grounds, and that Guatemala has a full and fair procedure for determining asylum or equivalent protections. Um, so this is, uh, th this is, that's this legal standard. So the question you have to ask yourself is, does Guatemala have that? Does Guatemala have that agreement? Now, the agreement signed, you see, Acuerdo entre el gobierno de los Estados Unidos de América y gobierno de Guadalupe de Guatemala uh, relativo a la cooperación respecto al examen de solicitudes de protección. So, this is an agreement between the United States and the government of Guatemala, Republic of Guatemala 
relative to the cooperation in respect to uh, examining um, requests for protection. Okay, not a silo, but requests for protection. Um, considering that Guatemala, um, norma sus relaciones con otros esos países de conformidad con los principios de reglas y prácticas internacionales. So, well, basically, Guatemala respects people and we we say we uh, we have adopted the refugee convention from 1951 and they go on and on and on this agreement nothing in english yet so this the first thing you realize about this is this is challengeable in federal court because guatemala doesn't have an effective um asylum system uh now you say of course how do you know uh, that Guatemala doesn't have an effective asylum process. Well, one, um, have you ever heard of anybody getting asylum in Guatemala? Um, no. Um, and uh, so because it doesn't do it. I mean, it violates the law, just like the last agreement in Mexico violates the law. Um, this agreement um, basically says... Um, that by requiring people to apply for asylum in, 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 in Guatemala from anywhere else, not just... We, so basically, this agreement lets us send anybody to Guatemala. Um, that's what it, it says. It realizes it's in Guatemala. So Guatemalan president said this on Sunday. The agreement allows the country to avoid drastic sanctions, many of them designed to strongly punish our economy, such as taxes on remittances that our brothers send daily, as well as the imposition of tariffs on our export goods and migratory restrictions. So basically, Trump threatened Guatemala. We will tax remittances. We will put tariffs on your goods. Uh, we will deny, we will, we will basically cancel all the visas from your government. Anybody from Guatemala, nobody gets a visa. Unless you did. So he basically blackmailed them, or better yet, extorted them into this agreement. So Morales, their own government, questioned the concept of a safe third country. Now, he asked reporters, where does that term exist? It does not exist. It's a colloquial term. No agreement exists that, it is, that is called safe third country. Um, human rights prosecutor Jordan Roda said his team was studying the legality of the agreement in Guatemala, and whether the interior minister had the authority to actually sign the agreement. Um, so the agreement, as I said, is a cooperation agreement for the assessment of protection requests. It said, in coming days, the labor ministry will, quote, start issuing work visas in the agricultural industry, which will allow Guatemalans to travel legally to the United States to avoid being victims of criminal organizations to work temporarily and then return to Guatemala. What? They're, they're, what? That doesn't even make sense. Um, I mean, it, it it just doesn't make any sense. In Guatemala City, social and student organizations spoke out against the agreement in front of the court on the grounds of the country is mired in poverty and employment. There's no capacity to serve immigrants. Um, the, I mean, really, this is just, it, it is, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Now, DHS Secretary said, was part of a long-standing effort with Guatemala to address migration and combat smuggling. He cautioned against calling the country unsafe for refugees. It's risky to label an entire country as unsafe. 
We often paint Central America with a very broad brush. There are obviously places in Guatemala and in the U.S. that are dangerous because there's good and bad people on both sides. But it doesn't mean they don't have a full and fair process. That's what the statute's focusing on. It doesn't mean safety from all risks. Huh. Now, Trump was asked if he to reach similar groups with Honduras and all those says, I do indeed. So basically, Guatemala, by caving, has put these other countries at risk to show that they're going to cave as well, that that caving will go all the way along. Uh, this is what's truly nutty about this decision. Truly nutty about this decision. Um, Guatemala's uh, process uh, is non-existent for claiming asylum. It's non-existent. When, you know, we, of course, we have people that leave the U.S. to seek asylum in Canada because they're afraid of Trump. I'm okay, we can all laugh about that, but we have a system in place to protect people. The police protect people. In Guatemala, that doesn't happen. In Salvador and Honduras, they're actually part of the problem. Um, so basically, Jimmy Morales, who's the Guatemalan president, is trying to curry favor up with Trump to shore up his own administration. Uh, and he's been under investigation by Guatemalan prosecutors and a U.N.-backed anti-corruption commission for illegal campaign financing. Um, last year, he expelled the uh, head of the anti-corruption commission illegally, defying a Guatemalan court order. Uh, this is... Um, the Trump tantrum that, that made, I mean, I, I just think this is going to be struck down very, very quickly. But think about the threats on Guatemala. It would be a severely destabilizing impact. Remittances were $9.2 billion last year, or 12% of the Guatemalan economy, and exports to the U.S. totaled $4 billion, or another 5% of the Guatemalan economy. Literally, Trump could essentially delete 20% of the Guatemalan economy by this extortion. Um, and um, it, you know, the funny part is, by Trump forcing him to do this, he forces the Guatemalan president to uh, set aside democratic gains in that country after decades of civil war. Um, you know, now you've got Guatemalan's powerful business groups questioning these constitutional court. Uh, this, I mean, this is really, um, I mean. This idea that, that America is going to give temporary work permits for seasonal workers in U.S. agriculture is just garbage. I mean, this, wow, uh, this is nuts. And that's just two of the crazy things that happened in the last couple of days on immigration. We haven't even gotten to the other nutty stuff that's going on as part of this process. So that's our take this week on the Immigration Hour. Wow, this has been nuts. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, hey, if you'd like to be on the show, I could probably figure out how to do that. Give me a call. We'd love to hear from you or any topics you want us to cover. Uh, until next week, this is your host, uh, Chuck Cook from Cook Baxter Immigration on the Immigration Hour.